And so we had the king of Israel, his name is Ahab, who we've been talking about the last few times that we've met. And the king of the southern kingdom of Judah was Jehoshaphat. And so they had formed an alliance against the king of Syria. And so, of course, when two kings get together, there's all kinds of pomp and there's all kinds of, of fancy stuff going on. So they had gotten together, the two kings, and, and they had decided that they were going to join forces against Syria. And uh, they decided to find out uh, and, and inquire of the prophets to find out if they should actually go up and fight against Syria. And so it's like, well, let, let's ask the Lord. Let's ask God. Is this the time? Is this the place? Is this what you want us to do? And so they called the prophets together, and, and there was a pretty big show with the prophets, and you can read about it. One of them made some horns out of iron or some kind of metal, and they had this, this show, and, and pretty much everything that, that they wanted to hear was being told to them by the prophets. In other words, uh, God, should we go up and should we go against the Syrians? Oh, yes. This was, you know, the prophets, they gave them all good words. Like, yeah, go on up, you'll be victorious. Go on up, you'll rout them, you'll destroy them, and they'll run before you. Go on up, this is the time, this is God's time for you, this is God's place for you. So, yeah, he's going to honor this, and he's going to bless you, and there's going to be a great victory. So, that's what the words of all the prophets were. And a question was asked, like, well, is there any other prophet? And... Ahab said, yeah, well, there's one other guy, but everything he prophesies is always against me. He never has a good word for me. And, and so, Joseph has said, well, let's hear from him. And, and so, Micaiah was called, and he said, all right, well, Micaiah, what do you think? Should we go up to battle against Syria? Will, will we be successful? And Micaiah said, yeah, go on up. You'll be victorious and successful. Everything's going to be great. Now, I don't know how he said that because we don't have the inflection of his voice in, written in the Scripture. But he said it in such a way, there was something about how he answered the question that Ahab immediately stopped him and said, now, all right, now tell us what you really mean. Because he realized that Micaiah was saying what he wanted to hear by the inflection of his voice, but wasn't saying what God was actually saying. He understood. There was some kind of sarcasm. There was some kind of snarkiness. There was something that was going on in his voice that tipped him off. He was perceptive enough to be tipped off enough to say, well, what's the real word here? And he asked him again. And so what you see in this verse is this is the real word. This is what Micaiah had actually seen. This was the real vision. This was the real, whatever it was, the real revelation that he had for Ahab and for Jehoshaphat. And so that's what we read in these verses. Now I find it interesting that they would have enough, I guess, discernment to at least ask the question. I thought it was interesting they'd have enough discernment to 
ask if there's another prophet, whichever king you want to speak of. That they, they, they would have enough discernment to continue questioning even after everything that they had heard so far was go and it'll be a great victory. Go and it'll it'll be a wonderful victory for all of you. And if you read later on, like after this verse, Micaiah describes how this took place. He describes the spiritual the spiritual conditions under which this took place and why these prophets were speaking the things that they were speaking. And it's kind of an interesting story because as he describes the situation, he describes a scene in heaven. And and then the question is asked, well, who shall we send to, to put a lying spirit into the prophet's mouth to convince these kings, to convince Ahab to go up to battle against Syria to his own destruction? Now, that's kind of an interesting thing that took place there because there was a volunteer. He went down and he put the lion's spirit into the prophet's mouth and, and they spoke lies. They spoke, they prophesied lies to these kings. And there was this one prophet, Micaiah, who didn't prophesy lies. And so he spoke the truth to them. And, and interestingly, and, and I, I want you to think, he, he was a seer. And most of you that have any uh, experience with how we go about prophesying here, uh, a lot of the, the times when people receive words here and they're led by the Spirit to prophesy, we see God's Word in visions. Um, I'll take some responsibility for that in that I'm a seer more than I am what would be uh, like a Nabi prophet one that speaks out in a flowing word. Now, every now and then I'll get a flowing word like that. Every now and then God will speak through me in such a way like that. The first words I ever gave in church or I gave over people were flowing words like that. And and that was how things started. But it was clear after a certain amount of time that my giftings were uh, more along the lines of a seer. Uh, seeing visions, dreaming dreams, interpreting dreams, and those types of things like that. And so over the years as I began to lay hands on people in order to impart gifts, uh, when I would pray over people to receive the gift of prophecy, a lot of times it would be the same gift or like the same gift that I had in me. And so, uh, and people have commented on that when they visited that they rarely go places that everybody prophesies, just about. Not everybody, but, you know, a lot of people do. A high percentage of our church are prophesy over people, and they prophesy uh, to the church. And the vast majority of people that prophesy in the church, and this is also a comment I hear a lot when people visit, is that we are a body of seers, a body that... That's how we hear from God. That's how we understand God. That's how God communicates with us. And so Micaiah was a seer, at least in this case. And so the the Bible says that he saw this thing that was going to happen. And so he describes the scene that he saw. And he had an interpretation for it. He had an understanding for it. And, and I found it interesting that not only did he have a, a prophetic word that was a vision, but he also had 
the understanding of why the, the prophets had lied to the king. He had an understanding of how that took place. He had an understanding of the scene that had taken place in heaven as he as he saw that that was in God's presence. And so he was able to communicate that and able to bring some understanding to the whole situation and what had taken place. And so he was the prophet that Ahab didn't want to hear. He was the guy. He was the guy that Ahab was not interested in really hearing what he had to say in the sense that he could have done without this guy who he knew from the very start was he always had something bad to say to him. Now there was good reason that Micaiah had something bad to say to Ahab all the time. That's because Ahab, Ahab was a bad person. Ahab was under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Ahab had made decisions against what God wanted, had made decisions toward idolatry, had made decisions against God's prophets, had made decisions against the Lord's will for Israel, had made decisions to lead a nation into idolatry. And so as the true prophets of God would speak, rarely are they going to say something positive about what I was just talking about. I mean, he could surround himself with guys that are going to tell him what he wants to hear, and that's apparently what he did. And so God just amplified that. So that you're surrounding yourself with people that are just going to tell you what you want to hear. So let me amplify that a little bit. I'll put a lying spirit right in their mouths. Interestingly, I, and I think it's kind of interesting, that 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 seems to be human nature. That we, we really seek out people that are going to affirm us in whatever we're doing. And we, we tend to get away from people that aren't affirming us in what we're doing. And, and that's just human nature. In other words, we want to do something. And so we'll find people. And there's always people that are willing to agree with you. You notice in the story, the vast majority of these prophets, the vast majority of the people that were surrounding the king and the kings were agreeing with them. And there's good reason for that. They want to be liked by the king because the king can give them what they want. Give them power or give them money or give them influence or give them whatever it is they want. And so they surround themselves with people that are interested in what they can give them and so they're going to say the things that they want to hear. Now, people are like that too. Now, you might not be a king, but you may have time and you might have... Uh, some type of influence, or you might have something that people are looking for, even if it's just your attention. But they will tell you what you want to hear in order to obtain what they're after. And so if it's your attention, they're going to tell you what you want to hear in order to obtain your attention. If it's your friendship, in other words, they want you to be around them and they want you to, to like them, well, they're going to tell you what you want to hear in order to obtain that from you. And whether or not you think you have anything to offer to people, I'm, I'm telling you, you do. We all do. We all have our time, and we all have our attention, and we all have that, that and people look for those things, and they want those things. And so they're going to tell you the things that you do want to hear. They're going to tell you the things that, that they think you want them to say. That especially takes place in male-female relationships. 
I mean, that is super common. Because you've each got something the other person wants. Whatever that is. And I'm not going to get into that right now. You can figure that out for yourself. But you have something, and it could be some of the things I've already mentioned. It could be attention. It could be affection. It could be time spent. It could be whatever it would be. And and you're going to tell each other what you want to hear in order to guarantee that and in order to maintain that. It could be. But it takes place in other relationships. It takes place in other circumstances. It takes place, you think about dynamics at work and you think about who the boss is or you think about who the people are when you're at work and the people that you work with and you're trying to maintain a peaceful atmosphere or you're trying to, to get somewhere or to get a promotion or whatever it is or you get the days off you want or to get the time, you know, whatever it is. And you notice in that relationship, it's like, okay, well, this person has the power to do this. This person is a person I see every day, so I don't want to make waves. This person is whatever it is, whatever the, the situation is. And so you would tend towards speaking stuff that they want to hear. The issue with that is this. And it's the same issue that you have in this story. Is that these kings, not taking into account that there are people surrounding them telling them what they want to hear, not really taking that into full account, listening to what people are telling them, well, that's what they want to hear. It's like if you're a king and you're asking people, hey, should we go into battle? Yeah, you're going to win. That sounds good, right? Doesn't that sound like something you'd want to hear if you're going to go into battle? Hey, yeah, so we, so we should go into, and, and, and we should take care, you know, should we go against the Syrians? Yeah, you're going to wipe them out. Awesome. So, that's what they wanted to hear. That's what they heard. And that was it. Except for this one guy. And it's a kindness. And we have to really think about this. I want you to really think about this. It's a kindness for someone to tell you the truth. They're being kind to you. Even if it's something you don't want to hear. And I mean, there's different ways to tell people the truth. And some ways are more kind than others. But in a, in a general sense, if someone's willing, I mean willing to tell you the truth, they're being kind to you. Because people that tell you what you want to hear, knowing that it's going to lead to destruction in your life, people that tell you what you want to hear, knowing it's going to take you down a path that's going to hurt you, people that tell you what you want to hear, knowing that it's not going to benefit you at all, that is not kindness. That is not kindness that they're showing you. Even though it feels good in the moment, even though it seems so good in that instance, it's not kindness that they're showing you. It's a form of hatred. It's a form of wickedness that all of us have in ourselves. Because it's easy. And it's an easy wickedness to give to one another. It's hard sometimes to say something that somebody doesn't want to hear. It really is. And, and I'm not saying, and I, I'm not a person that if things don't matter, I feel like i got to volunteer information. I'm not like that. And, and I'm going to tell you the truth. There's some questions that I'm asked. 
I am not going to tell the truth off. All right, you're going to say, well, you just contradicted yourself, sort of. I mean, I mean, if, you know, if if, uh, if my wife asked me, do these jeans make me look fat? <laughs> I got one answer coming in that, and that's no. No. All right. Because the bottom line to that is it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And and I and if I think she's unhealthy or something, I'd say something. And you all know what she looks like. So if if, if I thought she was unhealthy, I'd say something. She's not. If I thought that you know you know that, that there was some issue going on, I'd say something. But there's not. And all of that is just a matter of perception and opinion. And so so and I hope you kind of understand what I'm talking about here. That. That's not the kind of situation I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, you know, like, uh, say, and I'm trying to think of a circumstance that wouldn't affect anybody here. Uh, for example, uh, when I was younger, uh, when I mean younger, I mean older than you, uh, so <laughs> you. I was in my 30s, and my mother had asked me a question about her smoking. And she asked me a question what I thought about it. And I told her that I thought it was killing her. And I think it's super bad for her, and she needs to stop immediately, somehow, some way. And that I would help her, that I would uh, go with her to the doctor, that I would do anything I could do to see her stop smoking. And it turned out, the combination of her drinking and her smoking, she developed uh, throat cancer from that. And to this day, if I mean, I, if I take out a copy of her death certificate from Florida, it says cause of death is throat cancer. And I, I would have been, I believe, I would have been wicked to tell her it's okay, do what you want. That's what I believe. And so that's what more I'm talking about. That when God opens up a door for us to speak some kind of truth into someone's life that's going to help them, that's going to keep them from destroying their lives, that's going to keep them from damaging themselves in some way or damaging somebody else and we get that opportunity to speak into that instead of telling them what they want to hear, I believe those are the moments that God opens those kind of doors for a reason to give us the opportunity to speak truth in the darkness. And I want to encourage you toward that. Especially as you move in the gifts of the Spirit, especially as you move in prophecy, especially as you move in the word of knowledge, especially as you move in the word of wisdom, especially as you move in what God has for you, I want to encourage you toward that. And I want to encourage you to allow God to use you in that. And to rise up over fear. And to rise up over how you can benefit from whatever it is that you're being asked and to just speak 
what you need to speak when the opportunity arises. Micaiah, he had been speaking to the king apparently for a long time to the point that king said he always tells me stuff is never good. In other words, never stuff I want to hear. And he was that voice. He was that voice to speak into his life. Had the opportunity to speak into a guy I work for over on the west side today and tell him something he didn't want to hear. Because he asked me. And I just told him. And I don't know it'll do any good. I don't know it'll mean anything. But it's one voice. It's one voice to speak truth. And if you want to hear it, that's up to him. But I will not, and that's what I'm trying to tell you guys, I will not speak a lie to him or hold back the truth from him because I think it's going to hurt his feelings. And I think somehow me telling him what he wants to hear is going to benefit me. Because in the long run, I know it won't. I know it won't. Because all these guys that were speaking these lies to Ahab, all these guys that were speaking these lies to Jehoshaphat, if they went out, if Ahab and Jehoshaphat went out to battle and they were both destroyed in battle and the Syrians came back, they would have no place. They would be nobody. They would likely be killed when the Syrians would come and they'd destroy them also. Kind of interestingly, they were just speaking to their own destruction by telling them what they wanted to hear. There's no benefit to that. There's no short-term benefit, no long-term benefit. There's no benefit at all. It's just, yeah, well, it's what you want to hear. There you go. It's the easiest thing I can do. Well, sometimes the easiest thing isn't the best thing. Sometimes the easiest thing isn't the, the thing that's going to matter and that is going to bring some kind of life to a situation. Sometimes the easy thing is just destruction. And that's exactly what it would be here. You see, Ahab didn't want to hear this. And regardless of whether he wanted to hear it or not, he was going to get the truth. And he was being left to, by his prophets, by the guys that he trusted, he was being left to be convinced of his error by the actual event itself. In other words, should we go out to battle? Yeah, you're going to have a great victory. When's he going to figure out that he was wrong? In that case, when does he figure it out? On the battlefield, when he's about to get killed, or he's dying in his chariot, that's when he figures it out. Is anyone doing him a favor by doing that? By just, oh, well, he'll learn from this. What did he learn? No, actually. <laughs> actually, no. Um, nope. By allowing the event to be the teacher, by allowing what was happening to, to be his teacher, that was not the, that would not lead to anything redemptive. There's nothing redemptive about that. 
And I, I can't help but think in my own life, am I glad God didn't leave me to that? Sure. Am I glad He sent some people my way? Sure. Am I glad He, he made sure I got a hold of some truth in my life? Yes, I am. Because if He just left the events in my life take place and that would be the great teacher, I'd have been in a lot of trouble and probably dead. So I'm glad He doesn't do that. I'm glad that he speaks to the situation. I'm glad that he sends others to speak to the situation. I'm glad that he gives the opportunity to change. I'm glad for his great kindness. Because as I said before, the great kindness is to tell someone that they're going into danger. That's the great kindness. It's better to be corrected by a word than the events of failure. It just is. And if people decide that they want to fail and they want to do whatever they're going to do, that well, that's up to them, but don't leave that up to you. Because the greater kindness is to speak to it and, be, and allow them the possibility of being corrected by word rather than the event of the failure. Now, also realize that Micaiah, when he spoke this word, his word is a word that everybody disagreed with. Everybody. So in other words, the truth is not always popular. Okay? Can you get that in your head? I don't know if you can. Can you get that in your head? I want you to think about it for a second. The truth is not always popular. In fact, in this case, everybody, everybody disagreed with one guy. Everybody. They all said the same thing. Victory, 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 success, all good. You got one guy saying, nope. This is all going to go bad. One person. But he was willing to take a stand. Why? Because he had seen it. He knew God's Word. He had the Word. He had the prophetic Word to be able to stand his ground and to be the only one that says, no, this is not going to work. This is not going to happen. This is not what is going to happen. He needs to stop. He was universally opposed. And what he had to say, he was universally rejected in what he had to say, and he was universally dismissed in what he had to say. Did he say it anyway? Yep. Even though he was opposed, rejected, and dismissed for what he had to say, he still said it. That takes some guts. That takes some courage. That takes somebody willing to just speak what needs to be spoken, even if nobody wanted to hear it. Even if it was to have no effect, it was spoken. Even if it was not going to change the course of history, it was spoken. Even if it wasn't going to change their minds in the moment, it was spoken. Even if every person sitting there hated his guts for saying it, it was still spoken. And the opposition, the rejection, and the dismissal was worth it. Weirdly, I've had my <laughs> I've had my share of those opportunities in my life, where I've been the dissenter in a particular discussion, 
I've been the one. And it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable for that to happen. When I first started out in ministry, I was always the young one. Uh, I was working with a group of men who had been in ministry a lot longer than I'd been alive. Uh, I had uh, been worked up through the ranks within a massive organization, a Christian organization, that not only was massive on a state level, it was massive on a national level, on an international level. And so I found myself on committees, and I found myself on task forces, and I found myself in all of these places and opportunities that, you know, you think, wow, really moving up the chain. Great. But my perspective was so weird and so different that I consistently found myself in that position where everybody agreed. Everybody said, this is the way to do it. And there I'd be. There'd be guys 60 years old, 50 years old. If I was lucky, I'd have a guy in his 40s that'd be on the committee I was on. I'm in my 20s. And yet here we are all in this committee with a chance to speak and a chance to say something. And I'd say what I was going to say. Nobody would agree with me. Nobody. They tolerated me being there. But sometimes things needed to be said. And I spoke for a, a, a weird perspective that none of them had. But they recognized somehow that they needed or I wouldn't have been there. And I want to encourage you to be that person. And I say it not because it's easy, and I say it not because I was comfortable doing it, and I say it not because I look forward to those meetings. I hated those meetings. But I say it because there needs to be someone willing to speak truth. Someone willing to speak word into those types of situations. Because God puts you in places where none of the rest of us are. Seriously. You go places and you are in places, you're in organizations and groups and, and things like that that none of us are in. None of us, none of the rest of us are even in close to those things. But you're there. And so that gives you the opportunity, that gives you the, the moment that you can speak word and you can speak truth into those situations. You need the prophetic flowing through you. You need God's word flowing through you. If you're going to speak, and I'm not talking about your idea, and I'm not talking about your opinion. I'm talking about what God wants to say in those situations. That's what I'm talking about. As I've related to some of you, as I have, I was a part of a, a task force for evangelism that was a national task force, and we met in a few different places. We The first time we met was somewhere in Arizona, then we met out in California, and then we met in New York City. And over the time that we were meeting, we were trying to come up with strategies to do evangelism. And, and the strategies they came up with, and I won't go into the description of it, was just, as far as I could tell, just fruitless. 
It was just dumb. And yet, but it was, everybody was on board with it. And they had these guys there, they were salesmen that were selling this strategy for evangelism. And they were just, you know, convincing, 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 and this is the way to go, and this is how you're supposed to do it, and this works every time, and all these other things. And I'm like, this is terrible. And the guys that were selling it hated me. Because I just kept bringing up why it was terrible. And how it's not going to work. And I kept bringing up situations and stumping them. And they hated me. And yet, they were so convincing that everybody else just about on that task force was like, gung-ho, yeah, let's buy this thing, let's do it. Like, I just won't do it. And so finally, they, one of the guys asked me, he's like, hey, will you go out and do evangelism with me at UCLA? And let's see how it goes. And he took me one time, and he took a guy using their method one time, and there's no comparison. There was no comparison how God moved. There was no comparison what God did. There was no comparison about what God was moving and, and by the power of His Spirit was doing in people's lives and the words that came forth and the word of knowledge, the word of prophecy, people that were crying and praying on campus. No comparison. Because it was the legitimate move of the Holy Spirit when we went forth and, and when we did evangelism under the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys know about it. You do it. It's hard to be the one that stands up. It is. And you got to be prepared to live it out. You just got to be ready. How are you ready? Well, stay close to Jesus. That's what I tell everybody I talk to overseas or, you know, every time I write Cam or whoever it is I'm writing, it's like, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. That's how you're ready. So they give him some good news. Victory, exclamation point. Good news, that's desirable, that's expected, versus the Word. Versus the Word. That's your choice. Victory, exclamation point, good news, you guys, that's desirable, it's expected, it's what I want to hear, it's what I desire to hear. And you've been on that side of it, right? Yeah, you're seeking God, but you're so close to the situation, you really can't hear, Right? You know, like you, like you really, really want something and, and you're emotionally you want it and you're so close to it, you really just can't hear, right? Because all you're hearing is what you want. It happens all the time. Alright? It just happens all the time. You see something, it's like, oh, look at that apple pie. I really want that apple pie. I probably shouldn't have that apple pie, but it looks so good. Lord, Lord, should I have that apple pie? Of course you should, my son. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, well, maybe I'm not in a good position to really hear that, right? Maybe my desire is overwhelming my discernment. That happened. That happens with lots of stuff. And it happens to all of us. 
And it's not something unusual. It's not something weird. It just is. That's why we're all required in one another's lives. That's why God puts us into a body. That's why God puts us into a relationship with people so that, that maybe the person not so attached to the apple pie could, could, could say to us, hey, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. That's really bad for you. You don't want to do that. Here's why it's bad for you. And they give us three reasons why it's bad for us. Alright, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like apple pie. I know. Yeah, I know. I know you do, but don't do it. Yeah, it looks so good. I know, yeah, just don't want to do that. So, unable to detach ourselves, we have to rely on God sending people our way with His Word. Or us opening up the Bible and taking hold of what He says in His Word. But again, if we're, we can't detach ourselves, it's even hard to do that. Because then everything we read seems to support the apple pie theory. And that's a problem. So, we, so people come our way and they help us. And you know that that's kindness in our life when that happens? That's kindness. These kings are just sitting there, they're like, oh yeah, go up to battle, we got our armies... We're joining forces, which was unheard of. Northern and southern kingdom usually fighting each other. They're going to join forces. We're going to do it, form an alliance. We're going to go up there, and we are going to kick some booty, and we are going to win. Prophets all say it's good. That's what we want to hear. Victory, victory, victory. That's what we want to hear. It's desirable. It's what we expect. That's good. That's what we thought they were going to say, and then the word comes. No, don't do it. You're going to lose. Ahab's going to get killed. Don't do it. That was the word. That was the word. Kind of interesting, they, they make this uh, statement. It says that it's better to go home. In other words, every man goes to his own house in peace. You see, that's, that's what he said there. It's better to go home than be scattered and hurt. Because you go to war or some endeavor without God's direction or approval. You're better off going home in peace. You're better off going home in peace than to try to go to war or some other endeavor without God's direction and approval. Because there's a scattering that takes place in that. What do I mean by scattering? Uh, if you've ever experienced mental scattering, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's messed up. I don't know if I'm coming. I don't know if I'm going. I don't know what's going on. I can't really hear God. I don't know what He's saying. Lack of focus. Lack of direction. That's the scattering. That's the scattering. Lack of effectiveness. I mean, I do what's happening. Well, those are the type of, of scattering, and that's the that's the, the type of, of thing that happens in us as we, when we run off like that and we go after something without God's direction on it or without His approval on it. You're better to go home in peace. Go back to home base. What's home base for you? I don't know, but we all have one. We all have home base. Yeah, you know, I'm the type of person, if I'm out doing something, like, 
something's happening and things get really, really, really messed up, I go home. You know? 310 Colony Park Drive. That's where I go. Uh, I, I remember I got in a motorcycle accident one time. And, man, I I got messed up. I had, I had a broken wrist. I had a broken ankle. My face uh, was all messed up. I, I got over 60 stitches in my face. I had six broken teeth. I was messed up. My motorcycle was messed up. I got knocked out. I never get knocked out. I woke up, picked up an over 500-pound motorcycle, set it up on the kickstand, got on it, and was trying to start it when the ambulance arrived. Why? Because I wanted to go home. Because everything was messed up. There's no way that motorcycle was going to get home. But I wanted to go home. And you need to have some kind of a home. You need to have some kind of a home base. It's better to go there in peace than to go through the scattering and the hurt that comes from going off without God's direction and without His approval. So we need that place spiritually that we can go. Now, this example of what was spoken by the prophet was also spoken by other people in the Bible. And the reason I bring that up is because it's important in the sense that this is a picture. This is a picture, being sheep without a shepherd, that's used in other places in the Bible. And one thing I've noticed about the Bible, when things are repeated over and over again, that's because it's important. And so this word that's being given by this prophet to Ahab and Jehoshaphat, this is important. This is something that is a theme through the Bible. This is something that means something and is going to mean something and still means something today. Like who said those things? Well, one of the people who said those things is Moses. Moses said the same thing. So look up Numbers twenty-seven seventeen. Numbers twenty-seven seventeen. Go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in. For the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, so notice here being a sheep. Without a shepherd is a bad thing. Do you get that from that verse? Because that, that's pretty—that's what uh, the prophet Micaiah was saying to Ahab and Jehoshaphat. It's not a good thing for God's people to be sheep without a shepherd. Now you see the same phrases not only with Moses, but you see that throughout the prophets. And you see the same phrase. It's not good. It's not good. And so what that phrase means... It refers to a people who have lost their king, who have lost their protection, who have lost their provider, who have lost their confidence, who have lost their leader, who have lost their direction in life. That's what that describes, sheep without a shepherd. And there's a problem with that as God's people. 
a real problem with that. A real problem when we as sheep will wander off. Or a real problem when we cease to listen to our shepherd. A real problem when we cease to listen to the one who's been given charge over us. That protection, that provider, that confidence, that leader, that direction. When we're unwilling to hear it anymore, calamity awaits. Calamity awaits. And I can't tell you the number of times people ask me, they'll say, Andy, what do you think about this? They'll ask me about some my opinion on something going on that they're going to do. Some monumental decision they're about to make. And I say, that's a terrible idea. I'll say it's a terrible idea. Oh, I'm going to do it anyway. It's still a terrible idea. I was doing premarital counseling one time, and I couldn't... <laughs> And during premarital counseling, there's a, I have a set way that I do it. And there's certain questions that I ask and there's certain things that we go through. And, and we're getting, we're going through the, the part, I don't remember which number it was, number two or number three of premarital counseling. And the guy, I knew the guy, I knew the woman, I'd known him for years. And they had dated prior and they'd broken up and then they were dating again and now they're going to get married. And so we went through the questions, answered the questions, and there was a, a humongous, and I mean gigantic red flag that came up during the premarital counseling. And I said, this is a really, really, this is like, stop, kind of red flag that just came up during your counseling. What do you mean? No, because this, and I explained to him why this was a gigantic stop. And I've never really said this, and I've told people I didn't think it was a good idea or these are some of the challenges they're going to face or whatever it is. I've done that before, but this is one of the only times I've ever looked at somebody and said, this is like, this is like, no. There's a super red flag about this. That you really need to look at this and you should really consider this because this is going to be a problem moving forward. Yeah, I love him. I love her. Yeah, no, I know you do. And I spent, I probably spent a half an hour talking about this. And I couldn't, and I went over it again, and again, and again. And I finally looked at the guy, and I'm like, she is mentally ill. Certifiably. And that's just not my opinion. That is a professional opinion. And you can take her to a psychiatrist, they're going to tell you the same thing. She's mentally ill. Yeah, but I just love her. I just love her. Okay. I understand that, but this is a terrible idea. They got married. And they got divorced. And the hurt that came from that, and the anger that came from that, and all of the confusion that came from that, because there were kids involved, and there were all kinds of other things that were involved, was so massive so massive and it was years later the guy I was talking to the guy that was involved in it, he looked at me he's like I should have listened to you I, that doesn't make me feel good at all I feel no better about this situation that you should have listened to me I feel worse that I couldn't convince you otherwise And some of you know who I'm talking about, some of you don't. 
but it doesn't matter. You understand the story, right? And so when we ignore what God's saying in our life, we ignore He's our protector, but we're ignoring Him. We're putting ourselves in a place where we're not protected. Or He's our provider. We put ourselves in a place where we're not being provided for. Or He's our, you know, He provides us with confidence and, and trust in where we're going and what we're doing. Well, fear takes over when we ignore Him. He's our leader. Well, we don't have a leader anymore. Where do we go? Who knows? We don't have direction in our life. We put ourselves in that position by ignoring Him. Ignoring His Word and ignoring what He has for us. And if any of you ever need premarital counseling, that was not a typical session, by the way. I'm not. Most of the time, they're really, it's really a fun time. I love doing premarital counseling. I love it. And it brings up situations and brings up questions and, and people are able to talk it through and it's just an awesome time. It really is. And I think it's productive and I think it, it, it's life-giving. That happened to be one of the worst times, one of the worst things that I've ever experienced during that time. So that's not typical, alright? So don't be afraid. I'm just saying it happens. And so Moses spoke to Israel, bring them out of Egypt, bring them into the promised land. I mean, so it's not good to be sheep without a shepherd. You don't want to lose contact with words. You don't want to use, lose contact with God. You don't want to lose contact with your provider, with your protection, with your king, with your confidence, with your leader, with your direction. You don't want to lose contact with that. Because calamity, that's what awaits. Anybody else know who else said? So we got Moses, we got Micaiah and the prophets, and Jesus said it. Remember? So I look at uh, Mark 6.34. Mark Alright, so you got Jesus seeing this big crowd, and they had lost contact with God. They had, they had lost contact with the living God, that, that they, they become a part of this big religious system that wasn't satisfying at all. And they, they, the reason you know it wasn't satisfying because they were following Him. They wanted something else. They wanted something real. They wanted something that would, would speak to them. They wanted to have relational contact with their God, with their protection, with their provider, with their confidence, with their leader, with their director. They wanted to have some kind of connection with Him. And so he looked on the crowd and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were completely unsatisfied with what was being provided for them. And they were strayed, and they were gone, and they were lost. And so what was his response? Read what his response was. How, how do you remedy that? What do you do? He gave him word. He gave him word. 
he started revealing God, the Father, to them. He began to speak the Word to them. He began to teach them. He began to prophesy. He began to allow the Spirit to speak through him into their lives. Yeah. Because that's the remedy. That's the remedy. Is you just speak the truth. That's the remedy is that you give them word. You give them revelation. You give them prophecy. You give them connection with a father that is intimately concerned for them. That's what he did. That's what he did. So I'm going to take a few moments and I want to encourage you to respond to what God's speaking to you tonight. This is all of us, so we're all included on both sides of this. We're included on the side of this that we, we like to hear what we like to hear. But we're also included on the side of this that we need to speak what we need to speak. And I hope you can see that. I hope you can reconcile that in your heart and in your mind. That there are probably things that you need to hear tonight to straighten some things out and to begin to bring some order back into your life and to stop the scattering and, and, and to stop the, the destruction and the hurt in your life and to get things straightened out. But there's probably also situations in your life where you have opportunity to speak truth and you have opportunity to speak the word. in love because that's kindness and to get a resolve about you to do it there's no perfection on either side of this none none all there is is opportunity opportunity for you to grow Get some order into your life. Get some peace and some rest. Get free of some fear. Get some confidence in Jesus back. Some provision. So there's opportunity for those things. But there's also opportunity for you to get a resolve going to speak when you get a chance to speak too. In love and in kindness. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us this life to live and we live it with one another. And we live it with you. And we've been put into one another's lives for a reason. And, and part of that reason is to support and encourage one another. Part of that reason is to be a conduit so that you can speak into situations when things need to be spoken. That we can serve one another, we can love one another, and we can show kindness to one another. And maybe the word that we need to speak isn't the most popular thing. 
but it's true. There may come a day in the days ahead where we're the only voice speaking something. But if it's your word, it's true. And it's right. And it's what you have to say. And I pray that in these days that we live in, that you would raise us up as a people that would speak your word as true seers and as true prophets of what you want to say in this day. Because God, I thank you for giving us a place to do that and opportunities to do that. I thank you, God, that we are uniquely, each of us, in situations where no one else is, is in this room. Where there may come an opportunity for that. There may come a situation where you want to speak into it. I pray that we'd have a resolve for that. That certain decisions would be made and that we would say what we need to say when we need to say it. And I pray in our own lives that you would melt away that overwhelming desire for comfort and to keep things nice and comfortable. I pray that it would melt away so that we could actually just live in truth. Thanks. I pray for some of us you'd break down pride that keeps us from hearing what you want us to hear. I pray for some of us you'd break down fantasy that keeps us in denial of your truth and reality. I pray, God, you'd open our eyes. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts. And open our minds to your word. And I pray, God, we would get free starting tonight. Here and now. Free. You created us to live freely. I pray that we would get free. Thanks, Lord. Give you honor and thanks tonight. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree together by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University... UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.